This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So just before Christmas, um, you already, you've been on the road. What, what's the temperature in freaking, you're in Kansas right now? I am, yeah, South Central Kansas is negative eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be five here in the morning. I haven't even looked at a uh, at a wind chill or gone outside. I'm having the, oh, it uh, must be minus twenty or minus twenty five with a wind chill. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, I would guess more looking at the trees. I mean, it's blowing pretty hard. Oh, is it pumping? Yeah, and uh, I'm also going through. So my child, I, I have a 25-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old son, and I've gone through the, uh, I think I'm a pretty chill guy. Like, I, I don't know. It's always hard to judge yourself. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm nuts. But, And I don't worry about a lot of things in life. Sometimes I probably don't worry about as much shit as I should, but I have gone through the, my children are on a long drive. Um you just you think about it at least which way I, are they driving right now 
Well, my, my son is here. He's with us. My daughter is coming up from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. So she's coming from the southeast where her husband's family is. Um, and I, I'm like wound up a little bit. And I've, I mean, I've talked to them. Mm. They're fine. Um, but the snow's blowing. Is it snowing there yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have snow. Yeah. The boys are praying for snow this afternoon. Yeah, it's probably. They're ready. I don't want to say something stupid and cliche, but have they seen a lot of snow? Leo, like, they don't remember it. They've never been in snow yet that they're like, oh, we can remember it. We know we can play in it, whatnot. So this is legitimately like, this is it, potentially. <laughs> That's a cool. That's a that's a cool thing too. Your your boys are at an age too where this will be one they'll remember, right? Like right, right seeing, at Christmas too, you know. Yeah, seeing snow when you're two is something that you have to go off of pictures and people telling you that you saw snow when you were two. Um, it was a pretty cool experience when we first got to Colorado and Avery's boys. You know, we're in knee-deep snow at eight and mm. and fifteen years old. To you know, it, it, it's a neat thing. It's an impactful thing when you never see the whole world turn white on you. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, when everyone listens to this roundup, it's it's already Christmas. It's already Boxing Day, um, and uh, I don't think Americans celebrate boxing day but boxing day is the 26th of december well merry christmas everyone i hope everyone had uh father christmas came to them and had great family holidays and everyone's healthy and safe and got everything they did their hearts desired from santa claus or the wife or the partner you have any christmas presents that you think are coming that you are like hey I'm really, uh, I'm almost, and okay, just bear with me for a second. I kind of, I tell everyone in a very literal way and have for years, I don't want anything. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I am, uh, opposed to the idea of gifts, right? It's not like I'm making some moral stance on commercialism. It's not. It's not what it is. You're not I the get, Scrooge of Christmas that you're, no, uh, no, you're I, framing I, up right now. <laughs> I get that. Uh, I get that. That that's not only of Americans. We've made that a part of the tradition, right? It's not. It's not the. There, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I just really. I don't like stuff, right? I I really don't. I really have a really rough time with the concept of surprises because I don't like having stuff in my life. And so you have a really shitty chance of surprising me with something that I actually desire to have. That sounds horrible, though. I sound like a terrible person right there. <laughs> I um, saw a meme that probably fits you perfectly, which is 
why should I gift something to myself or someone else at Christmas when I can just buy it whenever I want? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I do. In fact, you know, I, 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 uh, I ordered a Kuyu bag three weeks ago, a piece of luggage. And as I was ordering, I thought, I wonder if I should tell someone. And then that seems, e- but I want the bag. I want the bag now. I wanted the bag to travel for. Exactly. I don't. Uh, so I don't. Um, a coffee maker. Avery said, can we agree to get each other a coffee maker for Christmas? And so three weeks ago, I ordered a coffee maker. And that's that's kind of what we did. And again, I don't want, I'm not a Scrooge guy. I'm not opposed to it. Um, I just buy most things when I want them or need them and throughout the year. And, and, uh, so I don't, I don't know. Everyone always does great. I, now I feel like everyone that ever gave me a gift is thinking he didn't want it. And that's not what I'm, <laughs> what, what I'm saying in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying, I don't sit around and have a list of, of things that I'm kind of desiring. And in fact, my mindset 365 days a year is what do I have that I can get rid of? Cause I, I just, I have too much stuff. I don't like it. What about right. you? Right. Um, I, I'm the court sort of like, Hey, if I'm going to, if I want it, I'll buy it kind of scenario. But I do know that there's a good bottle of Japanese whiskey. Right. Underneath the tree. I went on a Japanese whiskey kick a couple of years. My son sent me off on it. I got. I'm gonna now have to admit that I bought my son a bottle of Japanese whiskey before he turned 21, and he. Uh, we tried. Did he regift it to you? No, no, no. He asked for it at at oh at nice. 20. He, he someone had told him that he should try it, and uh, he's always kind of been. Uh, not obsessive, but very interested in Asian culture, just, you know, and wanted to try some Japanese whiskey. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. But yeah, I'm I'm sort of like, don't need anything. You know, love the idea. First time ever now that uh, we're actually going to have Christmas at home. We don't have to drive anywhere. So pretty good. It's going to be a good Christmas. It's going to be a good Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting stuff. So this roundup is a little different. We asked last week um, that we are just do a Q&A this, this roundup. Like anybody have any questions of Cody and I and send them in via text message, send them in via email, send them in via Instagram DMs. And I've got a couple of questions um, that I got through Instagram DM. I know you've got a couple of questions through text messages, right? Yeah, I've got one uh administrative thing before we kind of jump into the question period that comes from text messages but is not related to us asking our friends to send us questions um three i'm trying to find the third but um the gentleman the hockey player his name is carrie price correct I, we must have referred to him as Casey. Um, no, I thought I kept I thought I kept calling him Carrie Price, and you kept calling saying his name is Casey, or it was the other way around. But we did we did apologize and correct ourselves. And I did put up put out a video that was very much Carrie Price. 
Well, so our Canadian friends who um, it appears takes take hockey. I know this is to be true, but uh, we're not hockey guys, right? I mean, I I don't. Did they take I, offense to me calling him a different name? Um, they were just adamant in their corrections. I don't think that I would say that. They <laughs> um, and then some of them. Here's a uh, holy smokes! It's Carey Price, not Casey, not Gary, but Carey. He just went up a notch in my book, despite being the goalie for the team I hate. <laughs> also put this is this is a person that I don't know that that's the first time texter, um, and didn't put their name, but they uh. Also, they finished it off with Cody is correct. Gross Point Blank is an amazing movie, which it is, and we discussed that a little bit. But, but, but we need to. Uh, we have fixed it. Um, we knew we were wrong, but thank you to our uh, multiple Canadian friends for um, letting us know, including Tim from Saskatchewan, who is a regular texter, um, that we got that uh, incorrect. Yep, Carey Price. Carry Price, C-A-R-E-Y Price is a legend. Um, and still today, his Instagram doesn't have any other Instagram posts except that last one. It's up there. I'm a hunter and this isn't right. Classy, classy posts too. I think, I, I wish, um, I think starting the argument with some class and, and uh, some intelligence, not that I'm not, a person that's completely prepared to get muddy and start knocking heads when you need to, but uh, classy post, great way to put it in the uh, discussion around the debacle that is Canadian firearms right now. Yep. Any other admin related topics no. to handle? No, everything else is fun questions, or every not fun, not at all fun. Everything else is questions. <laughs> all right, I'll start. I got three. Um, the first two are, I think, well, the first one's really straightforward. The second one could be not straightforward. Uh, Rob the Hunter asked the question, when are you coming to Australia? Uh, we plan to be in Australia the first two weeks of May um, of 2023. We'll be doing two weeks in New Zealand prior to that. And specifically, why we're coming to Australia is the Australian Deer Expo is going to be on for the first time in two years. And that is May the 13th and 14th, I think in a little town called Marapool in Victoria, Australia. Again, apologies if I messed up the name or didn't even get it correct. But the Australian Deer Expo is where we're going to end our Australian journey. And hopefully we will see all of the Australians there. Say hello, shake hands. Um, Craig Merton, our Australian Blood Origins Australia admin is sorting it out. I think we're going to have a booth there. We're going to have a couple of giveaways, knife giveaways, supported drives. So, easy answer. Absolutely. All right, next question. I'll put the question out there, Cody, and then I'll count down to see if our answer would be the same. Why are anti-hunters wanting to relist wolves? All right. Three, two, one. Money. Money. (laughs) Now, I want to to clarify that I do 100% realize 
that there are some rational people with good intentions who just love animals and don't want them killed. Okay, that's that's 100% true. The organizations who have formed, whose names you know, HSUS, Defenders of Wildlife, um, that are the hardest pushers behind this, the people at the top of those are not rational. They don't listen to data. They don't listen to people's stories. They want to make money for their organizations and build new headquarters and and uh, raise their raise their personal salaries. That's I mean I've seen way too much of it. But a hundred percent, I know people who I've had passionate conversations with who do care about wolves and don't want to ever see one killed. That is a much, it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not backed by scientific data, but that is a much more noble reason for it. Um, but that is not why the organizations that are involved in it are doing it. They're doing it for the sake of fundraising. 100%. Couldn't add anything more to it. Both on the same page. Uh, another question comes from Brad Thompson. Uh, a big fan of Brad Thompson. I'm sure you've seen him in the, our Instagram DMs, Cody. Um, has really taken the bit between his 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 jaws, essentially, and into his mouth, and is really pushing in Washington State. He's the the he's the guy who's now putting put, uh, petitions into the commission, and he says because of us, because of what we have stood for, the kind of content we've pushed out, and and encouraging people to step up and. He has stepped up in a in a really big way. He's a hunting educator now, uh, giving on uh, hunter education courses in Washington State. And his question was was quite a long one, um, but it was all centered around the future of hunting depends on new hunters to replace those who leave and die of old age. So he sort of has two questions around the same topic. The question becomes: If not me. Then who will teach the classes so new hunters can join hunting? Following question, what is the role of giving back to the next generation of hunting to ensure there will be a next generation of hunters? That's a, a, not only a moderately long question, it's philosophical. I, I love the idea of teaching um, and the, the hunter education part of it, as well as I think you know, some of what we do um, hopefully comes across as educational, you know, as a, whether it's, we, we do very little on the how to hunt, um, but we do a lot on thinking about the why and the why, giving you examples of why people hunt. So I love the education part of it. Um, I'm a little probably unique in my thoughts on on the future and how much I don't know. I got a little bit of Matt Ranella um, coming through that I don't like programs that go out and try to convince people that aren't actively wanting to hunt to hunt. I very much love programs 
who are easily accessible and well known about to help people who want to hunt become hunters. And I know it sound it almost sounds like semantics. Um, I don't like the word recruitment in the in the three in the in the three R's. Three R's is not right. That's math. What's the what are those programs? R three programs. R three, yeah. I don't like the recruitment phase of that. Um, I very much like programs that are out there and available for someone to reach out to. Um, I don't like this philosophy of we're going to go make more hunters. Um, And I know it sounds like semantics. Maybe it is semantics and there's not anyone actually out there, you know, Gestapo style forcing people to become hunters. I get that, but um I definitely think the future, you know, the future of anything depends on who's going to be doing it in the future, right? That's just mm-hmm. kind of a an obvious statement, but uh, I, I wouldn't claim to understand or know what the answer is other than setting a good example, right? I think that's the, I think setting a good example for, you know, those that are physically around you, whether it's children or neighbors or family. Um, and, and and as well as you know digitally hoping to set a good example for anyone that absorbs your content um i think that's probably the single biggest thing that i see um out there that that we could do better for the future of hunting that and when i say we i mean all hunters um i think even when you set a better example especially in today's day and age where your example can be viewed 9,000 times in one day by people. Um, I think that helps to bring the right people in. People are 100% watching things on social media and then deciding to try hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know that I, that that's my philosophy on it. That the future of the 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 impact that we can have on the future of hunting is setting the right example for those that are viewing it now and will be the hunters of the future. How about that shit? I agree. I agree. Um, but I will add that I'm a big proponent of those, and I think you would agree here. I'm a big proponent of those organizations, curriculum, courses that are in place that, and if someone is thinking about it, I would encourage them to do it, that are in place that if people are interested in becoming hunters, you're not actively like pushing them Gestapo stuff, but if they have interest and they like Google, like, how do I do this? That there are places that will take them from where they are to becoming a hunter. Like, you know, I've, I've got two examples that come to bat right away. Number one is, in the UK, I just chatted to a guy called that has started a program called the Wild Order, which is essentially people who want to get closer to their food but don't know how. He's offering this opportunity for them to do it. So they're becoming from non-hunters to hunters. Here's the other thing, and this isn't an opportunity, but here's some statistics that may uh, blow your mind a little bit. I just chatted. We just had a podcast with two researchers out of North Carolina State that did a survey of college students, 17,000 college students. And they asked them about, like, do they hunt? Like, in what spectrum do they fall from a hunting perspective? Here's a mind-blowing number. 
I can't remember the other percentages, but I remember this one. 22% of the survey respondents, and when you extrapolate that out to the university campuses and the population of the university campuses, it equates to like 6 to 8 million people. 22%, which is made up of a very diverse ethnic, ethnic background percentage, as well as high percentage of women in the 22%, said they do not hunt but would like to. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. So those 22%, like, where do they go to become a hunter? It's with these, like, people like Brad and, and, and organizations that have mentorship programs in place or Deer 101 programs in place. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and, yeah, I agree. That number is shocking. Um, at the same time, I agree that I love those organizations. Here, let's let's hit this real quick. That I my here, here's my uh, <laughs> here here's my philosophy on race. Okay, that I think that all people are equal. But I think the single best way, there's an interview where Morgan Freeman talks to Mike Wallace. And and uh, it's maybe, to me, Morgan Freeman, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, Morgan Freeman speaks words that the world should be forced to hear in, in school. It's, it's, it's one of the most intelligent things I've ever heard. Um, and he, he says something to, Mike Wallace says, how do we deal with racism? And Morgan Freeman says, stop talking about race. And I'd, obviously, someone could be upset by this, that some, I mean, I'm the whitest guy you've ever met, but that I sometimes see organizations dedicated to certain races or cultures, and I think that that can be a barrier or a con, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. Now, what I want to say is, when you get into something like uh, non-typical hunters, is that, am I using the, I'm not, I think that's the name of the group. I see those as good welcoming opportunities to people, right? Like when, mm. the, when the group is there to assist those folks, um, I think there's some really cool things happening there where maybe because of the cultural divide that sometimes happens, um, there's a group of folks that don't feel comfortable asking this other group of folks for help. Um, so there's some really cool things happening in that realm as well. Um, did I bring that back around for everyone to know that I think that they're doing positive things with, by creating groups where folks feel comfortable in their in asking for help, in asking for advice, in asking for a chance to try something, um, hopefully it's not that the hunters in the area that don't fit into that group necessarily were not allowing it. But obviously, there's a you know if you don't know folks, you don't know folks, right? And walking into a group of of uh, folks who've shared life experiences with you, it's easier to to be humble and admit your lack of knowledge sometimes. So um, there, there's a lot of really cool things happening out there. When you say six to eight million, 
see, I get a little Matt Rinelli too. Like I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, it's that's that's a lot of damn new hunters. Yeah, but that that is six to eight million that probably are disappearing in the next five years, five to ten years. Yeah, the baby boomers. I think I think the only thing that I feel comfortable saying out loud that I am like assertive on is I think the best thing that we do is set good examples. Because mm-hmm. not only do I think that that is just the right thing to do. I also think it probably helps you get people that are going to do it right to get involved, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I think that's probably just anything in life that you want to to consistent that you want to be consistent in the future. Um, set a good example now, so people know how to do it right, um, know how to do it ethically, um, and the right group of people are interested in doing it. All right, I'm out of questions. All right. You're up. I'm up. James from Ohio, uh, good, consistent texter, sent. Welcome back. My roundup question for you, Robbie and Cody, on a personal level, do you find hunting spiritual? It depends, and it's a classic scientific scientist answer. Um it depends on the on the situation. So, like, I'll say, I'll give you an example. When we were hunting in the Northern Territory of Australia, and I knew the place that we were hunting in probably, I, I can't say for sure, but there's very, it's very unlikely that a white man walked where we walked. Maybe, but very unlikely that they didn't. And so when you're walking in a place like that and you see Aboriginal paintings that like nobody's ever seen before, then there's, there's definitely like a more spiritual connection. Um, are, there, are there times that you sit in a whitetail stand that nothing's happening and you reflect on your life and pray a little bit and listen to the voice in the back of your head that is the Lord speaking? And Yeah, you know. Are there other times, though, that it's not spiritual and it's just like, hey, I'm out here to, for meat or I'm, I'm out here targeting a specific buck? Yeah. So, to me, it depends. I, yeah, I think I have the exact same answer. I don't think that it's the primary driving priority every time I go out. I do think that because I'm normally in nature and either alone or with the people that I'm closest to in the world, that, you know, spiritual kind of experiences, whether they're little, you know, a weird ray of light working through the trees or they're gigantic, you know, a a life-changing event happens. I I think spiritual, I think I'm putting myself in a situation where I feel that more often than in other places, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know that I would describe hunting as spiritual for me. I would describe the circumstances that I'm in as hunting as much more likely for me to have that feeling or experience than in town in traffic, right? Right. 
Right. So spiritual is definitely a word that I would talk about because of the experiences that I've had hunting. Um, but I don't uh, want to, uh, I suppose a person to get deep into this conversation would need to individually define spiritual, but, but, um, I can, I can remember, you know, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's times when I was hunting that I don't think I was any closer to, 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 to God than before, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that's the, the closest that I've ever been is in that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good fireside chat question. Tanner from Ohio um, knew the assignment here. And uh, he put here a few personal questions for you in the next show. And he directed them uh, individually. So this is okay. Here we for, go. For Robbie. Why did you move to the United States? And. Mm. Would you ever consider moving back to Africa? I'll answer the second part first. No. Never go back to Africa. Simply because the standard of living that America affords is amazing. It's absolutely like it's... I, 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 am, I am witness to the American dream. Like who I am, where I'm sitting right now, the house, my kids, my wife, my job. It is the epitome of the American dream to come here with nothing. And when I say nothing, I was earning 9,000 US dollars a year as a PhD student to where I am today is an American dream. And Africa is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Africa is amazing. Wildlife's amazing. People are amazing. It's just not here. And that's why this is the best country. You know, one they say it's the best country in the world. And I agree. Um, why did I come here? I came here in 2003 to undertake a PhD. I finished a master's in wetland honors and, and master's in wetland ecology, and I was interested in pursuing my PhD. Looked all around the world, found what I was looking for in Podonk, Oxford, Mississippi. Packed up my bags, said goodbye to my family and friends, and moved. And that was that. Was the, was the PhD not available in South Africa? like? Did you have to come here or did you want to travel as well? And let, is that, that's the, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question. No, it's a good question. So just to give people a sense of things, I could have done a PhD under the same advisor in the same place I was in South Africa. I could have kept going. In South Africa, you're not really encouraged to move around in terms of your academic studies. In America, you are very much encouraged to move around. Once you finish your Bachelor of Science here in America, you are asked, you know, you're suggested, go somewhere else in the, in the United States to do a master's. And then when you finish your master's, go somewhere else to do your PhD because you get exposed to different habitats, different environments, different professors, different thought processes. And I was just, I was just tired of the program I'd been in. I'd been in it for three and a half years and I felt like I was stuck in a rut and wanted to do something else, but in the same vein of study that I was studying, I was swamps and wetlands were my thing i can study swamps and wetlands anywhere in the world with different emphasis and the one in mississippi had an emphasis tied to agriculture and and how wetlands can be used in that in that context and fit with where i was mentally at the time and that was that 
Excellent. Tanner's next question is for me. It says, Cody, what made you hunt Africa? And would you rather hunt the USA or Africa? Um, the what made me hunt Africa is a fairly uh, humorous story. Um, I had zero. Um, I did. I, it wasn't. It wasn't on my list. Um, and to be honest, I'd already reached a stage in my life where I was very interested in kind of the golden age. You know, the uh, the Teddy Roosevelt to Ernest Hemingway era like that that stuff was iconic in my mind and i knew a fair amount about it um and was infatuated with that it had just never progressed i didn't have the knowledge of of modern day in fact i had assumptions that were unfair it wasn't on my list um a friend of mine got uh a hunt daryl that's been on the show um got a hunt and had a space um, so I, I went to Africa the first time to go on a trip with Daryl and his brother Duck because I wanted to go with them somewhere. That's why I went to Africa. Um, since then, um, literally, I mean, I don't know how to put it other than falling in love with the place um and the people and 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 the methods and everything that happens there um but when you ask would you rather hunt the USA or, or Africa um i mean they my, my answer is both i i love the idea of taking trips to africa um but i very much love the idea of walking out my back door and going hunting American game. It's two very different uh, systems, um, and there, I don't think there's a right and wrong. I think it's it's fine that culturally people do things differently, and I think as far as the the huntable countries in Africa, they're the only they're the only conservation success story that even comes close to being discussed with the North American model. I mean, literally the two best places in the, in the world to be a hunter. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can pick one. I, I do think I love the idea of trips to Africa and living in the, and, mm -hmm. and, and my home hunting happening in the United mm -hmm. States. I think that mm -hmm. that's the, the best of both worlds. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, Hopefully somebody in Africa is wheeling me around in a cart when I'm too old to walk anymore because I <laughs> I continue to get to go back over there forever um, on a every two to four year basis is kind of my goal. Um, question for both of us is this big. You ready? This the, ready. Again, Tanner from Utah who – Tanner, by the way, is a longtime texture who I invited on and knew absolutely like Tanner has been to Africa, spent time working with hunting um, operations over there. But for both, he says, for both, if you could have lunch with any three individuals, living or dead, who would it be? And Tanner goes on to put that his would be Teddy Roosevelt, Dr. Livingston, and Ernest Hemingway. 
I just played this game a week ago with my wife, so I un- go ahead then. Unfairly- You've got your answers. Go ahead then. Well, I, I have, I have debate. You know, mine, mine are. I don't have a clear cut three. Um, Ernest Hemingway would definitely be on it. Um, I know, you know, not because I think he was perfect. He had a lot of flaws, but I think in our lifetime, and not in our lifetime, but in modern history maybe the most interesting person that I can think of to sit down and just have a drink with. Some of it would be his boisterous ego, right? That I just think the conversation, I don't want to risk that I sit down with someone and they're shy and quiet and like my hour with them, I can't get three words out of them. I don't think that would be that way with Hemingway. Um, Not to copy Tanner, Teddy Roosevelt was definitely in my discussions as well. Um, Some of my stuff might, unfairly slant towards uh the not unfairly just in my world it might slant a little bit more towards the military um george Patton, i think is a person that uh, american general that i would love to sit down with and then uh, i've always put alexander the great on that list i don't i don't know that, that uh that there's a person that whose brain I would like to pick more in history with. Again, I know there's a lot of people in the world that are mad at Alexander the Great, but uh, holy crap, would that be a discussion in my mind? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my three are like tied to my background, like of, like my makeup, essentially. So I met him once when he was alive. But I was like 15, 16. He came by the school that I was at in South Africa. But I think sitting down with Nelson Mandela and having an hour with Nelson would be unbelievable. The guy was funny. The guy was brilliant and just probably one of the most decent human beings that you can ever think of, right? That stood up for the right thing and got put in jail for 26 years and then came out without an iota of desire of revenge. And amazing. So that would be number one. 100%. Number two would be Wilbur Smith, the author, because I'm just obsessed with Wilbur Smith since I was a kid. I'm rereading all of his books right now. Loved Africa. And I was a prolific writer, so I'd love to sit down and chat with him. And then number three would be Pele, the Brazilian soccer. The Brazilian wow. soccer guy. Yeah. And just sit down for lunch because soccer was such a huge part of my life. And I'm, I was born in Brazil. Um, yeah, those are my three. Yeah, Pele has always been a person. Yeah, those are great answers. Nelson Mandela's sense of humor is like you saw him as people everyone saw him like this this incredible leader who also had to be had to have a great sense of humor because you just saw him laughing a lot i mean you just you know he, he was he looked like a fun person as well as far as as far as uh i, I think from what i know of pele it's same same situation you saw him exactly having having fun a lot um no, great answers and a great discussion. I do got to say this. If I had to actually pick, it would be like when we did it as a family, we had this rule that it was famous people. 
because a hundred percent I would pick family members. Like if I was actually picking like six. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Sit down weeks. with my grandfather today. Right. And talk right. about hunting for an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we had that. I, I just, I overthink things. And I made this caveat that I would, one of them would just be seven great grandpas ago who I really don't know a lot about, but that, that would actually be the, the, the person, but that makes the, uh, question for conversation's sake less interesting so it's famous people is the answer there you know what you just sparked in my brain and this is going to be news to everyone everyone's going to freak freak out flip out flip out we've never really talked about it but you know how we've designed our new podcast cody's hunt camp podcast yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um my grandfather wrote so many stories, so many hunting stories, like comedic hunting stories. I think we should just like pick one and just like read it and give a synopsis and just like dig into it and just like question like what the hell was happening in yeah. in the frame of reference then, you know? No, absolutely. 100%. That sounds like a great thing to me. I've I've uh... the one of them climbing under the Unimog cuz it's raining. And my grandfather wakes up, thinks he's got a freaking cobra stuck in under his armpit. He feels this thing move up under his armpit. And Bob, his buddy's trying to shoot, says, I'm going to shoot this. He's like, are you crazy? <laughs> they move the Unimog that completely poured, like the rain is pouring down. They strip off his shirt and it turns out there's just a frog that's like <laughs> nestled itself like up into its armpit. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would be a great idea. We should absolutely let's explore that more and go for it. But let's let's not not do it. Dave Dave from Wisconsin sent a picture um, from social media. It's a drastic shift of subject here. Um, it's a person. It, it's it's uh, multiple pictures from a Facebook post. Of rows and rows and rows, or great big giant piles of coyotes. Mm. Um, and Dave's Dave it lists a long question out. Talks a little bit about like you know Matt Ranella's argument against these things. Um, you know, the question summed up is, what do we think of? folks and i'm talking you know some of them are 70 80 coyotes laid laid mm-hmm. out in a field um and what's our thoughts on that you know um go, goes on to say he finishes it up with i wonder if predator control is being used as a shield against criticism for them just wanting to shoot animals like dave is is going deep on this. He's not taking a stance mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. on 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 the pro predator hunting side of this and trying to defend. Mm-hmm. He's, he's wondering. He's going deep on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here's what I'll say. I'll probably take a different approach than you will. But number one, coyote hunting, predator hunting is a legal hunting activity. I'm good with it. Number two, the science shows that 
coyote management on a very, very, very localized scale will improve your nest bird success on the property quail and turkey. However, at a much more landscape scale, it doesn't. Because of coyotes' ability to have an evolutionary adaptation to persecution, is what I like to call it, is that the lower the population on the landscape, the more the pup litter sizes will increase to get back to a carrying capacity of predators. Three, coyotes are very resilient individuals in, in terms of their population dynamics. Um, four, at the end of the day, if, if and here's where the crux of the matter comes in from both the anti-side and the hunting side. If hunting them doesn't do anything to the population, or not hunting them does nothing to the population, is there a need for coyote population control? Again, if you are a single dot in a landscape of dots, and you're the only dot that's, that's managing the predators, then yes, at the local level, you're making an impact, but at a regional level, you're not, because everyone will have to do the same thing. Last thing I'll say is this. I think, again, this is, this is the circumstance where social media is the bane of what we do as hunters, in that if we didn't have social media, nobody would know that these guys are killing 70 to 80 coyotes, nor would I think that they would have the sort of predilection to put them out and take a picture with them all out. So my brain is, why do we need the photos of a pile of coyotes or, or you know, 80 coyotes lined up? We don't. Doesn't help hunting at all, except to say this is what we do and, and we really don't care what you think. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you're, I, I, I think you're right on. I do think that... <coughs> Hold on, I want to pick, I want to pick at one thing that you said. If 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 are you saying that if coyote hunting didn't happen, you said hunting coyotes doesn't affect the overall population, and not hunting coyotes doesn't affect the overall population. That that didn't sit completely right with me. Right, right. So this is why I said what I said. To that regional landscape scale of coyote populations, if someone is tackling coyotes at like a local scale, on a landscape level, the, the coyote populations is, is not changing. They may be affecting a very small footprint of them, but on a general scale, you're not changing the population because of that evolutionary adaptation for coyotes to be able to increase litter size production as a result of population densities going down. The same argument can be is used on the on the non-hunting side of coyotes. So, if coyotes are not hunted in a population at again a landscape scale, they're they're a density dependent species. So what happens is as their density gets to a certain stage, carrying capacity stage, their litter sizes will drop to one or two pups. It's not going to be six to ten pups. Any, any additional coyotes in that population are going to find a niche for them to sit in. If there's not, they're going to, get, um, they're going to emigrate out of that population. 
So again, from a regional perspective, when you think like, just look at a, a, a plot of land or a place on the map, that's what's going to happen. You're not going to get an indefinite increase in coyote numbers in that area once they've reached their carrying capacity. That's it. Correct. It may fluctuate. Don't get me wrong. It may fluctuate, oh, but you're not, it's not going to go from, you're not going to have 150 coyotes, and if you don't hunt them, you're going to have 1,000 coyotes in there. Yeah, I, 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 I get it in, on, a, on a kind of a, a macro versus micro type. And I, I agree and with that's, you. And, that's the, and that, unfortunately, is the argument for predator hunting. It's the difference between the very micro local scale to the regional landscape scale. Right. Really on every, you know, does it not apply in some form to every predator? I mean, is it, is it a coyote? A little bit. A little bit, yep. No, maybe, a little bit. Maybe, I think obviously coyotes are a very adaptable animal, right? Like they're kind of, kind of successful everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me. And I tell you, like, as I go to, in my brain to form an answer about the social media, um, I could literally, I could argue for the person that posted the pictures and I could argue against the person that posted the pictures that I, I, I don't. The picture doesn't do anyone any good. Um, the picture probably hurts hunting. Um, at the same time, they're doing a legal thing, and it's their right to post a picture, right? That's right. Um, That's right. And yep. so I, I, I do think that it's a, it's a gray. I, I think it's a gray thing. You know, you have every right to do it, but I guess I wish you wouldn't. That's that's the. At the same time, I'm not a fan of. of not posting I'm not a fan I would never look at a hunter and say that that's do that at a hunter that's doing it legally and ethically and say you shouldn't share that with the world so it's a it's a conundrum for me kind of it's a mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. a I don't I don't like part of I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Matt Ranella but I don't like his we should never post anything on social media ever, um, you know, kind of overwhelming arch that he comes out with. Um, because I not I don't think if there's something that shouldn't be on posted on social media, nine times out of ten, it's because it's something that you shouldn't have done in the first place, right? Like it's 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 I would never say you shouldn't post a picture of you putting a duck in your mouth on social media. I would say you shouldn't put a duck in your mouth for this and, and completely disrespect the the hunt right. and the animal. Um, right. But this one in particular doesn't apply to that. This person is doing a thing that has been deemed legal, and and uh, so I, I don't know. I think it's a great conversation to have. It would be fun to have um, with someone who laid out a hundred coyotes in rows of ten by ten and try and dive into you know what what made you do that and and i think the thing that that uh dave is is kind of iterating to probably has some has some legitimacy to it that 
are there people that did it for all the wrong reasons? Not saying right. everyone that ever posted a picture, but did you just go out and shoot all those coyotes with a bloodlust or a or an ego that wanted the picture? You know, um, and and if so, are you willing to talk about that with us? And here's the other thing is that a lot of people post things like that because they know they're going to get a negative reaction out sure. of it, right? Which is going to boost engagement. It's going to boost the popularity of the post. So. No, 100%. 100%. It's a touchy situation. Predator hunting in general is a gray area um, that predator management is not a gray area. It's a very scientific thing, but the the whys and hows of the hunting um, are a conversation that we're going to be having for a long time. That's really it to stick to the format. I mean, of, of questions that I have, I, I have some other texts, but as far as questions directed at this question specific episode, those are the ones that I have. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am, um, I'm a plan to try and get out in the whitetail woods with the boys. Between now and the new year, I was going to do it on Friday afternoon, but freaking nine degrees is not going to be welcoming to the boys sitting in a, right. neither or me, right. or me sitting in a deer stand. Yeah, it's uh, this, uh, that kind of the entire nation here is getting some remnants of a good winter storm. Wyoming. Montana minus thirty, minus fifty. Oh my gosh! Like that is crazy temperatures. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, all right, my man. Well, look, Merry Christmas, Merry Happy Holidays to the family, and stay safe on the road. Um, man, appreciate you. We'll do. You too. Say hi to everybody. We'll do. See you, everyone. Merry Christmas. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.